0: I'm so glad that you are here. Um, These are tumultuous times. These are times of division and chaos and times when people are not certain about what the future is going to hold. Uh, There have been a lot of statements that have been made over the news media just in the last 24 hours about whether or not there's any hope. And that is because of the shooting in Atlanta at the Wendy's of another African American male, and I'm going to talk t- about some things today that could potentially make you uncomfortable on either side of the equation in terms of how you perceive yourself, uh, yourself, whether you're, uh, you know, a, a person of color or an Anglo, or you like some of us that are just a little bit of everything. Uh, That's what Cajuns are. It could make, uh, it could make you uncomfortable. And so spoiler alert, I'm giving you warning right now and I need to let you know so that you can prepare. Uh, I'm gonna deal with some very sensitive issues but it is in the purview of the church and it is within our mandate to address the things that I will be talking about today. I want to first of all say that God is extraordinarily smart, and the psalmist said it this way, I have esteemed thy precepts concerning all things to be right. Not 99% of things, but all things to be right. And there is the idea out there that, you know, the church takes care of its little domain over here, but leave the rest of the life to us and and the things in society to us, we'll deal with those. You stay over there in your little church world. And it's that division that has occurred in people's thinking, that dichotomy that exists, the polarization that has occurred that I think that is responsible for many issues not being addressed the way they need to. And is God smart? Because a lot of people don't think that God's all that great, but think about it for just a moment. If there is a God, think about what that entails. If he is God, by virtue of the fact that he is God, he is infinitely far beyond us in intelligent and understanding, or he wouldn't be God. Many of the ancient cultures worshiped deities that were basically overgrown caricatures of humanity. Seriously, look at the Greeks and the gods they worship. They lusted, they envied, they fought, they killed, they all kind of other stuff. They were basically humans with overgrown appetites that manifested all of the characteristics of mortal beings only they were so much bigger. That's not the God we serve. The God we serve is infinite in purity and righteousness. He is a holy God. He is a God of love and understanding and compassion that will never stop loving you no matter what you ever do. That's the God that I serve. Amen. And is he smart? Oh, you better know it. I mean, he speaks and worlds come out in the words that he speaks and are formed and fashioned by the words of his mouth. A man who was an atheist went to church and listened to the pastor preach about the intelligence of God. And later, as he sat outside on a swing under a hickory tree, he began to reflect upon what he had heard that morning. And as he looked at the hickory nuts on the ground under the tree and then glanced over and his garden was there beside it, he began to feel quite proud about his own intelligence, engineering, ability, and skill. And he said, you know, he said, if you do exist, God, you aren't really very intelligent, are you? Why would you put little bitty hickory nuts on a gigantic hickory tree? and gigantic watermelons on a little bitty vine on the ground. And he really felt pretty proud about his observation and who he was. Until just then, a hickory nut fell and hit him on the head. And then he exclaimed, thank God watermelons don't grow on trees. (laughs) Yeah. Things can happen that give you a different perspective in life. And all of a sudden you realize there's a realm of understanding a wealth of existence and reality and insight that you did not grasp before. Here is what is extraordinary about that. When once your mind expands to include and grasp those insights and understandings, it is impossible For you to ever shrink back to being who you were before. You can't. It's impossible. I tell a story about that. About someone in the Amazonian jungle. I don't have time to get into today. But you can't go back to thinking the way you once did. Last Sunday was a good place to begin the discussion that we had. On the role of the church in healing the racial divide in America and the world. It did not cover everything, wasn't supposed to, or go as far as it needs to go ultimately, but it was a step in the right direction. The reason it couldn't go that far, did you honestly think in one Sunday morning that we're gonna get up here and fix something that's not several hundred years old, it is thousands of years old? Seriously. Racial animus has existed, For thousands of years. Amen. I did something last Sunday. I had our board of directors come up. They are the officers of the corporation and stand here on the platform. And then I had our our staff, our pastoral staff come and stand. And then all of our ministry leaders and heads of departments came forward and stood before you. I really regretted that they didn't have the light just situated where you could see that in the six o'clock premiere. But those of you who were here, did you notice that we are evenly divided at every level of leadership from the board of directors to the pastoral staff, to the ministry heads and team leaders on down? In fact, like in the board of directors, out of 12 of them, seven of them are people we would call people of color. There are less Anglos than there are of the others. It's the same way all down through this. And you see, I mentioned that and I showed that and some of you might have thought like, well, I'm just showing that we're all right. No, I want to show you that you're not going to get anywhere if you are thinking a magic wand, it can be waved over things and it'd be fixed in one Sunday. It took us years to get to this place and we still have a ways to go. But it didn't happen because we just set about and waited for it to happen. It was the result of intentional, deliberate leadership choices to put people in qualified positions where their talents and giftings could be exercised with the authority necessarily invested in that position to make it more than just token. That has been my style of leadership here. And it's what most of you have come to understand and take as the nature of the Inspire Church ministry team. And frankly, there are churches that are scrambling right now. Did you know that? Oh, they're scrambling. Because you see to have multicultural attendance is not so new. But those churches frequently do not have multicultural leadership. The worship team, they might have it there. but the leadership, now that's a different story. And trust me that right now pastors are scrambling. how do I know that? Because I talked to them. <laughs> and they're calling me, how'd you do this? Amen. And it has to be deliberate and intentional and it must be a strategy that you're willing to invest years in seeing come to maturation and fruition. Last Sunday, we had a panel discussion and we talked about some things and you heard from people, it was totally non-rehearsed. I didn't tell anybody what to say. They spoke from their perspective and here's what I want you to understand. I believe that every one of their... perspectives is important. You may feel some didn't go far enough. Maybe for you, they did not. But for them, that was their heart. And until we get to the point that we love each other enough to respect the different perspectives. (laughs) Have we really fixed anything? And I'm going back this morning to Zechariah chapter 2 and verse 10 through 13, then on to Zechariah 3. Zechariah 3 verses 1 and 2 were where we were at last week. And that's the verses that I read as we began our panel discussion. The reason I'm going to Zechariah chapter 2 is we have this understanding in the church that because the Bible is divided into chapters and verses that that's how God gave it. (laughs) No, no. It's not that way at all. That wasn't added until just a few hundred years ago to make referencing and finding particular passages in the Bible easier. It was done by a monk in Italy. So I turn to Zechariah 2 that is the same message continued into Zechariah 3. Now let's read in verse 10 through 13. Sing! And rejoice, O daughter of Zion, for behold, I, God said, am coming and I will dwell in your midst, says the Lord. Many nations, and the Hebrew word there means ethnicities, shall be joined to the Lord in that day. You don't even understand how controversial that is. Many nations joined to the Lord the Jewish people thought there was only one people of God and that was the Hebrew people, descendants of Abraham. Everybody else were Gentiles, Goyim. Many nations shall be joined to the Lord in that day and they shall become my people and I will dwell in your midst. Then you will know that the Lord of hosts has sent me to you And the Lord will take possession of Judah as his inheritance in the Holy Land and will again choose Jerusalem, be silent, all flesh before the Lord, for he is aroused from his holy habitation. And then it keeps going. It's the end of the chapter, but remember there were no chapters when he gave it. Then... He showed me Joshua the high priest standing before the angel of the Lord and Satan standing at his right hand to oppose him. And the Lord said to Satan, the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord who has chosen Jerusalem rebuke you. Is this not a brand plucked? From the fire. Father, would you speak to us today? I'm asking you to anoint us. There's not a pastor in a pulpit right now, anywhere in this nation, that does not feel that he is having to navigate through landmines, even walk on eggshells, because of the sensitivity of the subjects that are being addressed in pulpits across the nation this morning. And I can't do this without your guidance and your assistance. So I'm asking that you would speak through me. Give me your wisdom and not human wisdom that is so extraordinarily limited when yours is so extraordinarily infinite. And talk to us now in Jesus' name. And everybody shouted and said, Amen. The Role of the Church in Healing the Racial Divide, Part 2. This passage of scripture deals more than just the mere return of Israel from captivity where they have been in Babylon for 70 years. That is because the Bible is more than just a history book. It is the living word of Almighty God. While it contains an accurate account of history, the words in the Bible, Jesus said, are words that contain life. Scripture is actually multidimensional and transpositional. It tells you one thing that you might gain insight into yet something else. It stacks up layers of meaning and you can either see the superficial application or you can dig deeper into it and find additional depths of revelation. It's like this. My grandfather, I've said this before, was Clarence Patan Falk. If you want to know what Patam means, that's French for duck. Clarence Duck Falk. That was my granddad. You know why he was called that? He was a professional outdoorsman, trapper, marshman, hunter, guide, market hunter, in the state of Louisiana. He was the real deal when he came to Cajuns. Long before there was a duck dynasty, my granddad made and marketed duck calls. They still make them today. The Companies still exist. As I've told you before, he was actually world champion duck and goose caller. I didn't make that up. There was a contest every year in Stuttgart, Arkansas, and he won a number of years. And after he retired, my uncle, his son, my uncle Dudley, became world champion duck and goose caller. That doesn't mean much to you folk here in Texas, but in Louisiana, that gives you bragging rights. Amen. It means something in Louisiana. My granddad taught us when you hunt, he said, when you hunt, you wait till them duck cross. That's how he had said, his Cajun accent. You shy, you done wait till them duck cross. Then you pull that trigger. And you get more than one duck with one shot, and literally that's what he would do. Those ducks would come in as he was calling, wing, 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 wing. And as they would come in and cup their wings, they would line up, and he would wait. He just didn't shoot the first, and he'd wait until a couple of them lined up. Bow, and he'd get more than one with one shot. I'm not making this up. This is the truth. I haven't hunted in over thirty years. But in the old eight millimeter tapes, my dad has a video of me shooting four ducks with one shot. That's not an exaggeration. I got bragging rights. Amen. That's what the word of God does. It lines stuff up. And you see this being said, but then it suddenly occurs to you, Whoa, wait a minute, that's talking about this too. And then you get deeper, wow. It's also talking about this over here. And there are levels of depth and revelation in the word of God, that when you're hungry for God, he begins to open up and unfold to your understanding. The Scripture is full of this. For example, Matthew 5, 9, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. The first layer of meaning is that peacemakers will be blessed, right? Blessed are the peacemakers. But there's another level of interpretation. And that is this. Blessed are the peacemakers. To have peace, you have to make it. A lot of folk don't know that. That the default setting outside of Christ in humanity is conflict. That's the default setting. People will be in conflict outside of Christ. The third level of meaning is that in making peace, blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. You demonstrate your sonship in Christ when you make peace. Why? That's because he's the prince of peace. And that's why this passage in Zechariah today is extraordinarily significant beyond the mere historical details of, of Israel returning back to their homeland from 70 years of captivity in Babylon. These scriptures are literally a blueprint for the role of the church and what it is meant to do in a broken society in an effort to restore that society and replace failing worldly systems by establishing the kingdom of God. That's right there in that passage. This passage makes it clear that God's people had failed in their purpose. And in any discussion that you have regarding the role of the church in healing the racial divide, that has to be acknowledged too. The church has failed in America. 11 o'clock is still the most segregated hour in most of America. On Sunday morning, 11 o'clock. Not here, because we work deliberately. And there I go, I sound like I'm braggy. Forgive me if I sound a little bit of like Paul. I was shipwrecked three times and stoned and left for dead and tribe of Benjamin. And I get into all that. Please just give me grace this morning. If you would be so kind. Amen. The point here is, is they had been carried away into Babylon because they had failed to address issues that would put them on the right course. And God had to deal with his people and his church. This is why they were carried away into captivity in the first place. They had lost their way as the people of God and the church at large, not only in America, but around the world has failed to address the issues of race in a manner that is healing, constructive, and instructive. So what do you do when the church fails? Do you surrender and give up hope? That's what the news reports were saying after all that happened with George Floyd's murder and the demonstrations and even the rioting. And yet yesterday in Atlanta, Police shot and killed an African-American male at Wendy's. You've read the story and commentators are saying there is no hope. Let me rephrase that. They don't have any hope because they don't have any answers. Amen. So when the church has failed, what do you do? Number two, do you devise another plan to replace God's? (laughs) I want you to think for a moment at the utter absurdity of that. God, (laughs) you didn't do so good, get out of the way, I'll fix it for you. Really? Or do you, number three, go back and pick up the mandate that God gave his people, repent for having failed him in the first place, dust that mandate off, and proceed to follow the plan that God gave at the very beginning. Somebody ought to say amen right there. Because on my best day, I'm not going to outdo God. And neither are you, not even going to get close. We're going to be so far behind God that you won't even see our, our dust trail back there. His ways are higher than ours as the heavens are above the earth. His thoughts above ours. So surrender and give up hope. No, uh, uh-uh. uh, actually in times of great crisis and tumultuous activity and upset and upheaval in society, you have an incredible opportunity for the glory of God to be revealed and for God to demonstrate the wisdom of His counsel in His word. The light never shines as bright as it does when everything else is dark. That's when it shines the brightest. So surrender? No, don't believe I will. Try to replace God's plan with one of my own design? That's not gonna work too good either. No, I think I'll go pick up God's plan. Dust it off and say, forgive us that we haven't been more effective. Forgive us that we haven't tried harder. Forgive us that we haven't made the priorities of the kingdom, the priorities of the church. And we're fighting for your kingdom come in the earth. Amen. This passage also makes it clear that not only had God's people failed, but anytime God comes to bless you, it also opens up a new sphere of increased demonic activity and resistance. is standing before the angel of the Lord. Satan is standing at his right hand to resist him. Paul makes this principle very clear. 1 Corinthians 16, 9. For a great and effective door has opened to me and there are many adversaries. Great door. Lots of adversaries. Let me tell you the opposite corollary of that. Little doors, little opposition. You see, most of us run from opposition and never realize that in running from opposition, you're running from opportunity. Oh, I needed a better amen. That's one of the most important principles you will ever learn in your life. Somebody said, you're gonna do this, go to school, get another degree, whatever, train. You're gonna work toward fixing problems. You're gonna work toward resolving things like racism in America. No, man, that's hard what you just did is you closed the door on opportunity too. Because if you seize opportunity, you can do all things through Christ who strengthens you. He can use opportunity to elevate you. There's another important kingdom principle involved in this because a successful life must always be built upon kingdom principles. And it is this. The greater the value of the blessing, the greater the opposition one will face. The bigger the blessing, the more the enemy is going to fight. The more he's going to oppose you. Amen. And that is why in times of great chaos, there is always an opportunity for leadership to bring about great transformation and change. It is why Rahm Emanuel, former... Mayor of Chicago and uh, was it chief of staff, I believe, of President Obama famously said, you never want a serious crisis to go to waste. It provides the opportunity to do things that were not possible before. People are not willing to listen until chaos has erupted. And the world is in turmoil And it's an opportunity for the church, unlike any that has existed, I think, in my entire lifetime. God always, here's another kingdom principle if you want to write it down. God always takes what the enemy means for evil and turns it to good if we continue to walk in righteousness and faith. Look at somebody and say, God's going to turn it around. Now you gotta do your part. You gotta walk it out. Did you hear that? In righteousness and in faith. It doesn't mean you sit at home and let God do it all. Walk it out. Look at your neighbor and say, walk it out, walk it out. As it relates to the fixing of the problems of racism in America, you can bet that when God attempts to act to resolve these issues, that the enemy doesn't want that to happen. He thrives in division. He causes people to fail to respect and love each other. He causes jealousy, strife, envy, To separate people. This is what Paul defined. In the book of Galatians. As the works of the flesh. The enemy causes separation. For the same reason. That if you want a fire. To go out. What you do. Is you pull the burning pieces of wood apart. The fire will go out. And that's what the enemy wants to do. He wants to put out the fire of God that is the active immobilization and the power with which we have been commissioned to bring change into the world. So I'm gonna separate you and put you over here, separate you and put you over here, separate you and put you over here, here, and the fire begins to go out. And this is what God said concerning the fire at his altar, the fire shall never go out. God doesn't want the fire the impetus for change to go out. He causes division over all kind of stuff. Causes divi- division. Paul talked about division in 2 Corinthians chapter 3 that was caused by idolization of different ministries. I'm a Paul. I'm a Vesipas. I'm a Apollos. I got you beat. Division, division over stupid stuff. Some of us have been in churches that have been divided because of issues that were ridiculous. Can a woman teach? <laughs> I'm not going you're not my brother. You worship on Sunday and I believe it ought to be on Saturday. How about this? Why not worship every day of the week? You didn't hear what I said. Why not worship Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday and Sunday? Instead of just being a Christian one day a week. The enemy fights whenever God's people get together. And you can expect there to be, if there's increased demonic activity over things as small as that. I mean, stop and think about it. I came from a church background that had at least 60 major things we would separate from other Christians about. Seriously. Seriously. Women, do you cut your hair? (laughs) Seriously. How many of y'all remember the church back in those days? I came out of all of that. I survived it by the grace of God. Amen. Amen. If the enemy fights over insignificant things, then what do you think he's going to do when we confront major issues? He's going to really fight and try and keep division in place. In our text, God promised that he was returning to Zion or Jerusalem. Now the first level of meaning is he's going to come back to Judah at Jerusalem. But well, hold on. Remember that second duck out there? And the third, when you begin to look at the different levels of meaning, you realize that what he's actually speaking to prophetically is the church. He said many nations would be joined to his church when they see the favor of God upon his people. That's different ethnicities. And the word, as I said earlier, is the word, when he says nations, goi, which is ethnicity, it means the goyim. As I said, Ancient Israel thought there were only the Hebrews, the descendants of Abraham and the rest of the world. And the rest of the world, they didn't have a part. It was the promises of God in Abraham until Paul came along and explained that you're a child, a descendant of Abraham, a son of Abraham through faith, not circumcision. Amen. And so they lumped everybody into these categories. One category. Oh, we got a bunch of categories today. Oh, Lord, do we have categories. How many of y'all have gotten your census form to fill out over the last, what, what was it, a couple months ago, Jerry? I filled mine out, sat down with Jerry. And one of the first questions was, what race are you? I had just recently done the DNA thing. And I found out that I've got blood that's Bengali, which is either Bangladesh, Pakistani, or East Indian. I've got Finnish blood, Danish blood, Norwegian blood, Italian, Spanish, Portuguese, Jewish. Shall I continue? Obviously, the one I'm proud of is French. American Indian. And on top of that, this is literally the truth. I looked at it, I laughed. I have blood from three different African nations Liberian, Senegalese, and Ghana. I looked at Jerry and I said, which one do we more? I said, "What about I just write human race?" And see, all of you thought I was just, just a white man. I told you I'm Cajun. We Cajuns in a category all by ourselves. Amen. And this confirms what the Bible said. We have emphasized distinctions that are minor. Acts 17, 26. And he has made from one blood every nation of men to dwell on all the face of the earth and has determined their pre-appointed times and the boundaries of their dwellings. Made from one. One. Hello? One blood. Galatians three twenty eight. When you get into Christ, there is neither Jew nor Greek. There is neither slave nor free. There is neither male nor female for you are all one in Christ Jesus. Say it, in Christ. This passage, one other thing it teaches is never count God's church out. Because you see, they had failed and gone into captivity and people had given up. But God said, I'm not done yet using my church. When you vote against the church, imperfect as it is, you're voting against his bride and therefore against him. God has prophetically declared in this passage that the church will conquer the very gates of hell. Look at Matthew 16. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. It may look dark because the church has not done its role or fulfilled its assignment. But don't give up. There's a shaking going on right now. God knows how to stir up his church. It means that God has hope for the church even when people don't. In the text, because there was such an incredible door of opportunity opening up for, for Israel as a nation, the enemy clearly wanted to obstruct and prevent God's people from returning to heal and restore his people and for them to assume their original mandate. God's people are made of every nation, tribe, kindred and tongue. And Joshua remembers, was the high, remember this was the high priest. That represents the church. But there were three other well-known persons. Two of them have books in the Bible named after them. Ezra and Nehemiah. The other was Zerubbabel. They were political leaders. But I want you to notice this. Where was the angel of the Lord standing? In front of Joshua, the church. Not in front of Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel. Angels are divine messengers who are commissioned by God to herald, announce, and facilitate breakthroughs into greater realms of spiritual significance and kingdom purpose. When God gets ready to facilitate a breakthrough, sends an angel. As pastors, staff, and ministry heads, we lead in tumultuous times. But as is always the case in times of great unrest, there exists this incredible opportunity for God to advance his kingdom light years in a single gigantic step. God's doing something right now. You might ask why that is the case. It is because juxtaposed against the failures of men, governments, law, that's Ezra, Esther, uh, uh, Nehemiah, Ezra, Nehemiah, and Zerubbabel, I mean this to say. Juxtaposed against their failures and even education and the economy, the successes of the kingdom of God shine brightest as the result of the principles of the kingdom of God being applied in righteousness. When men's plans don't work out, God's plans always will if we listen to the divine word of almighty God. Could I hear an amen in the house? I don't know if you, uh, I'm, I might be offending folk right now, but when this gets on me, I don't hardly care. I don't mean that with a lack of compassion. I just, if I tried to stop right now, I couldn't. I feel it in my bones and I got to say something and there's something going on. God is stirring his people. You see, educational systems have failed. They failed. Political systems have failed. Economic programs have failed. Governments. They've all failed. Out of all of the countries in the world, this is my assignment to you, if you will allow me to give you one. Name one where racism has been conquered. Shout it out. And a holy hush descended on the congregation. You know why? I Googled it already. There is none. The closest they claim is Great Britain. I've been there. I've seen some of the ugly stuff that goes on there too because I've spent a lot of time ministering there. Not one country in the history, the thousands of years of man on this planet Not one country's ever resolved, not one government, not one educational system, not one economic system, not one political system has ever fixed the problems of racism. The closest that it's come to that, and I'm just about done, is in the country of Rwanda. I'm there often. We have ministries there. There are two main tribes in Rwanda. They're the Hutus and the Tutsis. 26 years ago, there was a genocide in Rwanda which killed approximately 1 million Tutsis and moderate Hutus in 100 days by militant Hutus. More than 40% of the country's population were either killed or fled the country. If you want to get so upset that you can't eat your lunch at dinner, when you walk out of here, Google pictures of the Rwandan genocide and the fields of dead bodies. Children, men, women. During that time, Brenda, you will remember this, we t- I took up an offering. No, I'm only saying me because I'm, I'm the leader. I felt we needed to do something. I took up an offering from our church and we. I drove down to the Red Cross headquarters, remember this? On 59. And I gave it to the Red Cross representative. And do you know what he told me? He said, You're the only church in Houston that has given an offering for the displaced refugees of Rwanda. And then he said something else. I'm not polishing my halo, they get too hard to balance after a while. You think I'm bragging? I'm not. I want to show you that we have to take deliberate steps. And he said, not only are you the only church in Houston, he said, I don't know of another in the nation that gave to help. Paul Kagame came, became president. And you know what he did to address those problems? Oh, it won't work here. I promise you it won't work here. Because we value our ability to speak. You know, First Amendment privilege and all of that. And some people, many of our political leaders in the U.S. view him as autocratic. But remember, 26 years ago, they killed a million people in 100 days. He made it against the law for you to even mention race or ethnicity. They had these national ID cards. You know what he did? He removed all reference to whether you're a Hutu or a Tutsi. And now, if you even mention it, it is a criminal offense. And you go to jail. Well, you don't know quite what to do about that one, do you? You see, his idea was the more you focus on the separation, the bigger the gulf becomes. And he said, we got to stop this and realize we are one nation. And so I'm appealing to people of this congregation. What would happen if we were to walk out of here, and just love everybody and stop focusing on division. I'm appealing to my Anglo brothers. Can you do that? I'm appealing to my Hispanic brothers, can you do that? To my African-American brothers, can you do that? To my Asian brothers, can you do that? Can we just love people because we are one in Christ? There's neither male nor female, slave nor free, Jew nor Greek. Can I just say you're a child of God and I love you and it doesn't matter about the rest of it. You're my brother, you're my sister. Amen. You see, you're here for a reason. You're born for a purpose. You are. Yeah, yeah, you. You're here for a purpose and that purpose is not to live, work a job, go home every day, grow old and then die. You've got a purpose bigger than that. It's a kingdom purpose. It's to model the identity of Jesus Christ in your community. You may not know your purpose, but you have one anyway. You may have never figured it out, but God's invested the future in your hands. God wants you to be a model of Jesus living within the world that we live in. It's for this reason that Paul stresses the importance of this one fact, that every breakthrough you will ever have in the earthly realm first occurs in the spiritual dimension. Before it occurs here, it happens in the heavens. 2 Corinthians 10:3 through 6. For though we walk in the flesh, we do not war according to the flesh, for the weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but mighty in Oh my God, what did you say mighty? I need somebody to shout it out. Come on, shout it out. They are what Mighty in God for what? The pulling, say it, pulling down of strong holes. You've got the power to pull some stuff down. And what did he say? Casting down arguments. That's not a very friendly term. It didn't say, set arguments down, it's it, <laughs> yes. You've got the ability to do that in the spiritual dimension and what? Every high thing, oh no, surely, you don't mean it. Every, yeah, that's what it said. Every high thing that exalts itself against the knowledge of God. Oh my heavens, it gets even deeper. And bringing every thought into captivity to of the obedience of Christ. Not most thoughts, not 99% of thoughts, every thought. And when you do that, look at this. And being ready to punish all disobedience. When your obedience is fulfilled. We believers are the ones that have the power to change the structure in nations by implementing the principles of the kingdom of Almighty God. We do. We can change and facilitate thought. And we can literally say to Satan who's standing to block the breakthrough the angel is bringing the Lord rebuke you, Satan. The Lord, say it, somebody. The Lord rebuke you, Satan. When can you do that? When your own obedience is fulfilled. I'm done. But the apostle Paul is literally, literally acting like a military general to help the church understand the importance of implementing or implementing, I should say, the divine strategy of God to defeat the enemy. And generally speaking, the vast majority of people, when it comes to strategy, don't have one. They don't have one for their own life. They don't have one for their own family. Most people don't. They're among the group that gets up, goes to work, works, come home, pork's in the drive, puts their keys in the pocket, comes in, sit down in the lazy boy. After a while, they eat supper. After a while, they go to bed. And they do that day in, day out for 52 weeks out of the year for the rest of their life until they get a gold watch or whatever. And then they die. You need a divine strategy for you. You need to know why you are here. And not only that, you need a strategy developed for your family to get to the next level. Your kids are going further than you are and further than you will. God thinks multi-generationally. And you change a nation by starting where? In the home. Listen to this, Ephesians 1.10. He planned for the maturity of the times and the climax of the ages. Oh, my. Did it really say that? to unify what? I'm not hearing you. The scriptures just amazing me this morning. Does God really think he can unify all things? Yes. And head them up and consummate them. Say it with me, shouted, in Christ. Both things in heaven and things on earth. The phrase in Christ is one of Paul's favorite sayings, if not the favorite. The exact phrase is found 75 times in his epistles. If you include the phrases in him or in the Lord, Paul uses the phrase 160 times in Christ. You see out of Christ, you can do nothing. In Christ, it's a different story. Get on 610, drive across the bridge. Look out down there on the right where there are hundreds and hundreds of Volkswagens. They came from Germany. A Volkswagen cannot swim. It can't even float. So you know what? They had to get those Volkswagens all the way from Germany here. So this is what they did. They transported them to a seaport and put them in a ship. And when they got in the ship, they took on the qualities and capabilities of the ship they were in. And they floated all the way to the United States of America and the port of Houston. When you are in Christ, you can do things you can't do when you're not in Christ. Come on, somebody give God some praise. I know I need to stop. Can you give me just three to five minutes? I'll be done. This is important enough. I need to talk about it. What will bring unity that can heal division, hatred and distrust? There's only one thing, love, love, love. You gotta love your brother. You gotta love your sister. John 13, 25, by this all will know that you're my disciples if you have loved one for another. Romans 5, 5, now hope does not disappoint because the love of God has been poured out in our hearts by the Holy Spirit who was given to us. Your hope will not be disappointed if it's love that is your motivating factor. But if it's not, you're gonna join the team's in the news cycle today, that are saying there's no hope. So, where do we as believers go from here? This is it. Point number one, and we'll do it quickly. As believers, let's use our spiritual weapons. Zechariah teaches us about spiritual warfare and the power that it holds in resolving conflict and restoring broken societies. That's the model found in this passage. Number two, employ the most effective strategy. This passage points out that our greatest strategy is one that enlists God's help in our endeavors to right what is wrong. As the church, we've got to act. We've got to stand up. We can't be silent in this hour. You can't be silent in this hour. Can I hear somebody say amen? But you don't do it with hate that will slam doors and burn bridges. You do it with the love of almighty God. Yeah. Number three, we need to talk to each other. Yeah. You hear that? We gotta have some conversations. Gotta to talk to each other. You see, there's not a, a person of color, whether Hispanic or African-American in this building that has not been the subject of racism. They've experienced it, some more than others, especially the older generation. Oh, they've been through some stuff, honey. I've listened to some stories. Amen. I know that some Anglos have been through stuff too. That's what many people of color don't know, is that everybody goes through something. You know why? Because this world is broken. I'm not justifying it. I'm saying one way or another, you're going to get some scars living in a world that's ruled by a guy called the devil. Have you figured that out yet? Yes, sir. This is not heaven. Look around. I don't see any streets of gold. But you know what we are tasked with doing? Turning this world into a reflection of the kingdom of God Almighty. That's what our assignment is. So number four, we've got to talk to each other. But number four, we must do so while showing each other honor and respect. You can't shout at each other and expect others to listen. You've got to honor one another. They're made in the image of God. If they don't look like you, they look like Him. Can I hear somebody in the building say hallelujah? Love each other and then talk to each other. But when you do it, do it with honor and respect. Number five, we must determine to stop accepting part-time Christianity as a solution. Too many Christians are part-time. Hit it, Leo. God doesn't need any part-time lovers. God needs full-time commitment. God needs people that love him, love his word, that will stand on the principles of the word of God. Hallelujah, hallelujah, hallelujah. Number six, you gotta start by fixing it in the home. You cannot fix the macro situation without addressing the micro situation. It starts in the house. Starts in the house you live in. The conversations you have around the dinner table. My wife is here. I have uh, my grandson in the house somewhere. Uh, Other members of my family are here scattered across the building. I raise my children and the one thing they will tell you And here it sounds like I'm polishing halos again. And I'm not. I'm a broken man that lives in a broken world and probably need the grace of God more than anybody here. But I'll tell you the one thing that I find utterly repugnant. I will not and did not allow during their childhoods growing up. The terms to be used that have been so commonplace in our society. You're not going to denigrate people because of their ethnicity. They're made in the image and likeness of God. You're going to respect them and treat them that way. Amen. You fix it in the home. The way you talk is one good way to address it. And with this, we're finished. How to deal with the issue of bitterness is also important. Because some people do carry bitterness in their heart. And it's like Nelson Mandela said, bitterness in your heart is like giving your enemy poison. You know, I mean, drinking poison rather and expecting your enemy to fall over dead. Not gonna happen. Bitterness rots the container, corrodes the heart that carries it. Hebrews 12, 14, 15, pursue peace with all people and holiness without which. No one will see the Lord looking carefully lest anyone fall short of the grace of God, lest any root of bitterness springing up cause trouble and by this many be defiled. Would you stand with me? I pray that the Lord will help you receive what I've had to say today. And that you won't just listen and walk out of here saying, great sermon pastor, and go back to life as normal. This is what we're going to do. I'm setting up a committee to study how we might, as the church, impact the community in regard to these issues. Number two, this coming Wednesday night, there will be a panel discussion, and we will address questions from this audience that have been submitted in advance to a link that has already been put on the website. I had it put there this morning. So when you leave church, pull up our website, there will be a link, go to it, and you can submit questions or suggestions, observations. We will welcome those, okay? We wanna hear. Then in addition to that, we're gonna start a Bible study on Wednesday night in just another week or two after this panel discussion Wednesday. Depending on the questions we get, we might need a little bit more time. But we're going to start a Bible study on how to dialogue with people and get along and love and treat your fellow human being as a brother, as a sister. Amen. We're going to do the best we can. And will we make mistakes? Look at somebody and say, "Uh uh-huh. And look at somebody else and say, but that's okay. Would you do that? Because if we fail, we're going to fail forward. Father, I pray for healing in this nation. I pray for people's lives to be put together for forgiveness. I pray for strength. I pray, Lord, that you will cause bitterness and pain to be healed by the love of God. That you'll wrap your arms around every person that is here. And that you will help people to look beyond those superficial differences. And truly care about one another as the body of Christ. We are new creation.